and welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the Huawei and ZTE litigation, the citation for this case being 2020 UKSC 37. Now, this week's episode of the podcast is all about a number of cases that have been brought together under one appeal that was heard by the Supreme Court. They are all in the area of patent law and are to do with the production of mobile phones. If you have a mobile phone, then the chances are that it runs on 4G. If you're old enough, you might have previously had a 3G phone, and you've probably seen various news stories about a future with 5G. The idea is that as the technology improves, your phone will be much faster and just have a greater overall capacity. However, 3G, 4G, 5G don't actually refer to the technology itself, but rather the standard that mobiles have to comply with and achieve. That standard is set by the European Telecommunications Standard Institute, or ETSI, who, despite the name, have members from across the world, and basically ensure that your phone will work no matter what country you visit. So far so good, but one of the legal problems in this area is that some of the techniques needed to meet these standards are patented, and so making a mobile phone necessarily involves infringing these so-called standard essential patents. This is obviously problematic because the owners of these patents could either refuse to license them, or could charge an extortionate fee for doing so. In order to get around this, the ETSI requires such patents to be licensed on terms that are fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. As such, the standard essential patent holders get a fair sum, while mobile phone companies are allowed to take advantage of the techniques so as to meet the required international standard. In these cases, Huawei and ZTE are accused of infringing certain patents without paying a fee, even though that fee has been held to be fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory. The case made its way to the Supreme Court, where there are a total of five issues to pick up. The first question for the justices to answer was about whether the English courts have jurisdiction to grant an injunction, and if they have the power to determine the amount of royalties that should be paid. This arose because the patents are part of a global portfolio of patents, and so Huawei argued that the court should only have jurisdiction where the patents are from the UK. The Supreme Court rejected this argument because it doesn't match up with the legal regime established by the ETSI that allows for the setting of international standards. Furthermore, it is important that national courts are able to hand down injunctions so that the legal rules have some teeth to them and the patents are enforceable. In fact, the law also allows for a court to determine the terms of a license so that they are fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory a point that is backed up by decisions in other jurisdictions outside the UK. Huawei went on to argue that this is problematic because it takes something that should be a commercial negotiation and allows for it to instead be imposed on by the courts. Again, this was something that was rejected by the justices because when a court makes an assessment, it does so based on what is accepted commercial practice in this sector. The second issue that came up was related to jurisdiction, and concerned the forum convenience doctrine. This is the idea that English courts should consider whether or not a foreign court in a different jurisdiction would be better placed to resolve the proceedings. 
In this case, Huawei and ZTE, who are Chinese companies, argued that the courts in China would be the most appropriate forum. This didn't get very far, however, as the courts in China do not have the right to determine the terms of a global license that meets the fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory requirement, whereas the courts in England do have that right and ability. Furthermore, it was decided that there was no need to wait until related litigation in China was concluded before the current proceedings in England could move forward. The third issue was about the terms of the license, and more specifically the non-discriminatory element that we have previously mentioned in passing. There was an open question about what exactly it means for a term to be non-discriminatory. Huawei argued that this meant the company that owns the patent is required to grant licenses on similar terms to all applicants. In other words, the fee paid by Huawei should be the same one paid worldwide, and the exact terms should not be substantially different from what they had agreed with other licensors in the past. Once again, this argument did not stand up to much critique when it came before the justices. They noted that non-discriminatory does mean that there should be a single price for a portfolio of patents, and that this should not vary based on who the licensee is. However, this is not the same as saying there should be one single fee worldwide. The ETSI has previously rejected a lowest common denominator approach. Breaking down the fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory requirement, a patent holder must charge the same price to all licensees, and that price must be fair and reasonable based on the market. However, they do not have to price match similar patent portfolios. The fourth issue that arose in this appeal is to do with competition law, and the argument from Huawei was that the licensor had abused their dominant market position in contravention of Article 102 of the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union. It was suggested that they had done this by not making a license offer to Huawei before seeking an injunction in contravention of previous Court of Justice case law. In this case, the justices of the Supreme Court interpreted that case law so that an action for an injunction should only be brought after there has been consultation with the alleged infringer or notice has been given. However, there is no precise method or process for doing this, and so the consultation or notice will vary depending on the circumstances of the case. In this situation, the licensor had demonstrated a willingness to offer a license on terms that were fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory, and so it could not be said that they had abused their market position, and they were entitled to seek an injunction. The final issue that came up was a bit of a Hail Mary attempt by Huawei, to be honest. They argued that even if it was found that they had infringed the standard essential patents, damages should be awarded to make up for the loss of royalties, instead of the court imposing an injunction. Unsurprisingly, the justices held that damages were not an adequate substitute for an injunction. While Huawei claimed that the threat of an injunction was problematic because it could potentially allow the licensors to charge an exorbitant fee, that fear simply did not stand up to scrutiny, because we know that the terms of any license have to be fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory, and therefore any attempt to take advantage of Huawei's vulnerable position would not be enforceable in a court of law. Overall then, I am inclined to say that this is probably the correct decision, but 
being in the position of critics, I think we can take one further step back and raise some questions about this way of operating. To remind ourselves, we have these standard essential patents where the technique that is being patented is necessary for achieving the accepted standard in mobile technology. I find this slightly problematic because any company like Huawei is in a difficult position where they either have to pay for a license or infringe the rights of the patent holder. In other circumstances, this would feel a little bit like blackmail, and therefore makes you reflect on whether there is a better framework than intellectual property law for solving this issue. The central reason IP law is used is because it ensures that the person who owns the patent is rewarded for their innovation, and I don't think anyone would deny that that is an important principle. What causes concern is the license payments that can be extracted over a period of time and could be open to abuse. Admittedly, the requirement that the terms are fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory mitigates this to some extent, but it's far from ideal. Perhaps some system that offers innovators a one-off payment for the rights to their patent would work better. It could be administered by the ETSI with fee-paying members having access to any of the information that they needed. I'm not saying that this is perfect and doesn't have problems of its own, but it seems much better than relying on an interpretation of what it means for terms to be fair, reasonable and non-discriminatory. Furthermore, my blaming of the system should also not be seen as an excuse for Huawei or ZTE's breach of the patents. They are large companies that should have known better, and their attempts to worm out of their responsibilities in this case are a little bit pathetic. It's not a great look for companies that have been in the spotlight anyway due to their connection with the Chinese regime. I'm not sure this is the place to rehash the debate around 5G that dominated headlines this year, but we can say that while the companies are not as bad as certain niche conspiracy theories would have you believe, there are legitimate questions about their business practices which are worrying. This case is only further proof of that. Breaching patents and not paying royalties might seem like a small thing, but it contributes to a growing belief that large companies originating out of China are not interested in playing by the rules when it comes to commerce. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly Podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Special thanks this week go out to Kirsten Johnson, who left a lovely five-star review of the podcast on iTunes. We are now at 200 reviews, which is totally amazing, and it really means a lot. I think that on iTunes now, this is probably one of the most popular law podcasts out there, and that's mostly thanks to you guys who have taken the time to leave a review. So thank you so much for doing that. I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!